Welcome to the Judge John Hodgman Podcast. I'm bailiff Jesse Thorne. This week, Hunter Gaveler. Claire brings the case against her husband, Brian. They've just bought a piece of property in the country and look forward to rest and relaxation there. Brian wants to do a little hunting on the property. Claire wants to keep it a place of peace. Who's right? Who's wrong? Only one man can decide. Please rise as Judge John Hodgman enters the courtroom. Life is for the strong, to be lived by the strong, and if needs be, taken by the strong. The weak of the world were put here to give the strong pleasure. I am strong. Why should I not use my gift? If I wish to judge, why should I not? I judge the scum of the earth, sailors from tramp ships, men who kill bats by smashing them with books, grown (laughs) children who park on their parents' lawns, people who leave change for housekeepers as tips in hotels, or worse, leave nothing at all. A thoroughbred horse or hound is worth more than a score of them. Bailiff Jesse, swear them in. Please rise and raise your right hands. You swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God or whatever? I do. I do. Do you swear to abide by Judge John Hodgman's ruling, despite the fact that he prefers not to hunt with firearms, instead using sheer rhetorical power? (laughs) I do. I do. Very well. Judge Hodgman? Claire and Brian, you may be seated for an immediate summary judgment in one of your favors. I had someone write in trying to correct my trying to correct my grammar on that the other day, not appreciating that I am making a joke. I'm making a joke because I don't even know the correct way to say it, so I'm making it really wrong. For an immediate summary judgment in one of yours favors, can either you, Claire, or you, Brian, name the piece of culture I was paraphrasing as I entered the courtroom? Brian, you are the defendant in this case. You may guess first. I... I don't know. Okay. You have a guess, though. I can sense it. Stand by with your guess. Claire, can you name it? Judge, I confess that I do not, but parts of that remind me of my favorite podcast. Which favorite podcast is that? Yours, of course. Oh. The judge can be flattered and bribed, but you are wrong in any case. (laughs) Claire, do you have a guess? Uh, I I really, really don't. Mm -hmm. It's a book. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's a short story. Oh. I'll give you a hint. It's by Richard Connell, and it was published in Collier's Magazine in 1924. Now you got it, right? Yeah, I missed that subscription. It was I adapted into, it's been adapted into many films, most, <gasps> m- most notably in a film version entitled Surviving the Game, starring Rutger Hauer and Ice-T. Now you got it, right? I Have you never I read will, The Most Dangerous Game? I will put that on my queue that provides me what videos. Is, what is it? No, no, no. Don't, don't watch the Surviving the Game. You can read. <laughs> I've never seen it, but, well, you know what? Maybe see it. Ice-T has invited me to be on his podcast, and I want to be on it, so I reserve judgment on that film. I think he's actually a very talented actor and a funny guy. You got invited on Ice-T's podcast? Yeah. Oh, man. I haven't been able to make it happen yet, but I really want to go. Is I'm the invitation transferable? It's only, yeah. I'll, bring, I'll, I'll see if I can get you in a, as a plus one. 
How old are you guys, Brian and Claire? I'm 28. Oh, okay. I am two years and one day younger than Brian, so I'm 26. Thank you for not making me do the maths. You're welcome. Uh, And so it may be that this is not a story that is taught as universally as it once was. Uh, As you may know, I am uh, 43 years young as of June 3rd. Jesse, do you did you read the most dangerous game in high school, or no. or or middle school? No. This is a classic short story, you guys, about a big game hunter who has gone, I believe, to South America to hunt a jaguar, and uh, his his ship has a problem, and he falls overboard, and then he climbs onto an island that is known locally as Shipwreck Island in the Caribbean, and discovers that it is the the island is owned. And inhabited by two men, both Russians, one named Zaroff, the other his servant Ivan. And Zaroff is a, a big game hunter who has, has retreated to this island because he has killed every animal there is to kill. And hunting became boring to him until he discovered there was one thing left to hunt, the most dangerous game. Can you guess what it is? Claire? Brian? I'm stumped, Your Honor. What's the most man? Yes, Brian. Exactly so. And so he tries to hunt the dude. So the guy who you know, the guy who climbs aboard the island realizes he is he he who was once the hunter has now become the prey. Classic, classic, dumb reversal style short story of the kind Colliers was famous for in 1924. I was hoping for either Hemingway or Marissa Tomei's monologue in My Cousin Vinny. That's what I was holding out Does for. she have a hunting monologue in My Cousin Vinny? I don't remember that. The, the one where he goes um, hunting and he comes back and she was talking about, and the little deer puts his little lips to the cool brook and bam, a bullet rips through his head. That one. Well, that is exactly what this whole case is about, isn't it? Because Claire, you and Brian, who are married, a married couple. We are. How long have you been yeah. married? About five years now. All right. Five and a half. Oh, boy. You are really, you are two years and one day, five and a half. You are really keeping track of time. Very quickly, you lived somewhere else, but you are now buying a a, a 17-acre parcel of land outside of Augusta, Georgia, uh, where there is a home. And Brian would like to do some hunting on the land, and you would, and you have some problems with that is that not right claire yes your honor all right uh what are your problems with the hunting well we have been living in an apartment for many many years and we're seeking to purchase a a rather sizable piece of property and a home so that we could get away from the hustle and the bustle of town and then just just wanted peace and tranquility and we had talked about um planting a garden for ourselves and a garden for the animals and planting particular plants that would attract different types of birds and learning the birds' names and all their sounds. And, and now you're learning that your husband just wanted to attract them so that he can shoot their brains out. It sounds like, yeah, it's like the creepy guy in the van, like slowing down going, hey, little girl, want some candy? It's the same thing with the deer. Hey, little deer, want some corn? Pa-pow! It's over. <laughs> Brian... <laughs> We're, we're, you're really deep into this theater of the mind thing. <laughs> I love, I love, I love it. You know, Orson Welles adapted the most dangerous game in uh, uh, with the Mercury Radio Theater of the, uh, and uh, you know, the, right now we're you you painted a a, a lovely word picture uh, that I'm concerned is actually going to cause 
uh, people in different communities to go crazy and think we're being invaded by Martians. Pow! <laughs> Ryan, where did you live before you you? Before, where do you live currently? Where is your apartment currently? Uh, it's in Augusta. In Augusta. Um, it's uh, nothing, nothing fancy. Kind of central Augusta. One bedroom, two bedroom. Two bedroom, two bath. Mm-hmm. Okay. What kind of what kind of experience do you have hunting, Ryan? Um, I've always I've grown up outdoors, uh, but I've never done a significant amount of hunting. I've been out on uh, a few different occasions uh, with friends and family, but because. I live in an apartment and I don't have a truck or anything like that to take care of uh, an animal after, (laughs) after I shoot it. Um, And by take care of, you mean eviscerate, (laughs) (laughs) eviscerate and cart around to to go have it processed so that you can utilize, um, utilize the meat. Uh, Because I I don't want to waste anything for me. It's not uh, it's not so much about the sport as it is the the survival, the primal uh, instinct of it all. Well, because we're starving, and the grocery store is so far away. Well, uh, all right. Now, easy does it, you guys. I am also not an expert hunter, nor have I ever been hunting. So I took the opportunity to call in an expert witness. My former colleague at Men's Journal magazine, an outdoorsman if ever I knew one, and a man who is frantically trying to remember how to unmute his Skype connection now because technology (laughs) does not agree with him, Mr. Jonathan Johnny Miles. Jonathan Johnny Miles, are you there? I am here. Thank you. You're you're, Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. And, And we find you now in the wilderness of New Jersey. Is that not correct? This is correct, yes, in the deep in the deep woods of New Jersey. Now, now Johnny uh, and, and I used to write for Men's Journal magazine, uh, and I would write about fancy cheese, and he would write about, like, prison breaks and people punching each other and, <laughs> and, yes. and other more masculine endeavors. And then and he and I would drink whiskey together from time to time and plot our escape from magazines. And I'm glad to say that Johnny has escaped from magazines because he's the author of two celebrated novels, one of which is called Dear American Airlines. The other is called Want Not. And, uh, and is that coming out in paperback uh, this year? That is. It just, just came out in paperback oh. I mean, as we speak, I think. It just, oh, fantastic. Yes. And we speak yes. right now in Ju- on June 18th of 2014. So please go to your local uh, independent or chain bookstore and buy it because you're going to like what Johnny has to say about killing things with guns. Johnny, you are a hunter. Is that not correct? I am a hunter, yes. You are a contributor to Garden and Gun Magazine. Is that not so? I am, and I also um, am a contributor to uh, another magazine with an ampersand, Field and Stream. Whoa, um, the big one. Yes. You own firearms? I do own firearms, yes. And what, and what kind of animals do you hunt? Or have you hunted? I hunt, or I hunt uh, deer, turkey, wild boar, dove, quail, squirrel, uh, pheasant, rabbit, raccoon, um... And that could probably go into some weird species, but that's that's probably the <laughs> that's probably the, the the resume. All right, so Brian, you are ta- you are talking to basically the 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 Zaroff who owns the private island of hunting right now, <laughs> and you have washed you have washed upon his shores and are and are and are at his mercy. What do you kind of, what do you want to hunt on your property there? 
deer and rabbit. Um, I doubt we would ever get any boar, um, but things along those lines. Now, you had said, Brian, that you do not wish to hunt for sport. By the way, I feel like I can hear a bird chirping in the background. Brian, do you want to go ahead and kill that bird for me, please? You want to go ahead and shoot it? <laughs> well, I don't see it, so I can't shoot it. Outside in the tree. I like the I, I like I like the idea of normally I would say please close your window, but as I'd like to get as much wildlife into this thing as we can. <laughs> yeah, I think we have a second expert witness. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, that's, yeah, I, I apologize. That's that's the bluebird on my shoulder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's that's weird. That's the second zippity doodah reference in two weeks for for uh, for this podcast. You wouldn't know because you weren't on the last one. That, then we were just talking about robotic animals, but now we're talking about real animals that you want to kill. And you say you want to do it because of primal survival instinct. You're afraid that that bird's going to kill you, or what's happening? Tell me more of your philosophy. I uh, I want to feel like I'm partially living off the land, the, taking uh, off the top what what the land and the property has to offer. And uh, do you do you garden? Uh, not currently, but I intend to. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you have any experience uh, uh, with firearms? Do you own a gun? Uh, I do own firearms. I have a a pretty good amount of experience with firearms. Okay. Do you know the laws about uh, taking deer in Georgia? Uh, and are they different if it's on your own property or if it's on public land? Uh, there's, there's no real difference. Okay. So do you know the laws at all? Uh, a little bit? Yes. Do you know when deer season is? Not exact dates, but mm-hmm. close enough. Mm-hmm. Have you have you uh, have you ever shot a deer before? I have not. I'm not. Look, first of all, I'm sure there are a lot of people who are listening to this podcast who are who are unable to even giggle at the prospect of hunting on one's own land, as you are so so love lovelily doing, Claire, because they find hunting to be so morally abhorrent um, that they are they are currently turning off this podcast long before I even said this. Uh, I am uh, essentially neutral on this subject. Hunting is uh, not for me, nor do I feel a particular call for it. Um, but I think when done responsibly, uh, it, 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 uh, it doesn't hurt me. It just hurts those animals, I guess. <laughs> uh, and, and I am definitely in favor of people doing uh, within within reasonable constraints of safety and and public uh, good, uh, whatever they want to do on their own damn land. So that's how I feel about that, everybody. And if you want to take that up with me, you know where to reach me online. But l- what I'm asking you about, Brian, is not so much trying to trap you into uh, into confessing that shooting animals in the head is wrong or right or anything else. I'm really just trying to determine how much of this is a passion of yours, a longstanding passion, and how much of it is an aspiration. If you were to uh, say, what would your answer to that question be? Is this an aspiration to hunting, or is this something that you've grown up with and, and want to continue doing? Um, it's, it's something I've grown up around. I have had over the years, multiple friends who do this sort of thing, family members, um, and just have never had much opportunity to take part in it. I, 
I don't know if I can quite say a passion. I want to, but I don't know if, that I can quite say it's it's a passion. Well, by passion, I, I don't mean bloodlust. I just mean to say something that, something that you know well and love and want to continue to do now that you have the space to do it. But instead, it's more of, it sounds to me like it's more of a case of, I got this land now, I've always wanted to explore this world a little bit more deeply, and uh, and I'd like to go out there and shoot some things. Does that sound more or less like your position? Close. Claire, when you married Brian, uh, did you know that he was a bloodthirsty monster? <laughs> uh, no, sir. I just chose to see the, the sweetness in his face. Ah! Oh, Claire, you're great. <laughs> Are you both from Georgia? Uh, I'm not. Brian is. Brian, um, Brian, Brian's uh, grown up around here. In fact, Brian lives a whopping mile and a half away from where he grew up as a kid. So moving out to where we're going to be in the country is about the furthest Brian's ever going to move. Where are you from? Smarty Pantsville, USA? <laughs> yes, sir. Um, no, sir. It's, it's actually that I'm from everywhere and nowhere. I uh, moved around a lot growing up, mm-hmm. but I never lived in any one place long enough that I can say this place defines me. Or th- how, come you mo- lived- how come you moved around so much? Uh, military? Uh No, sir. To be honest, I had parents who were gifted at making bad decisions and running Uh from those decisions with their six children in tow. Whoa. Well, that sounds like it was a you have quite a story to tell. And uh, and thank you for sharing even that much of it. Did you uh, did you uh, serve in the military? Is that why you're calling me sir all the time? No, Your Honor. No, well, that's okay. I, I was kind of enjoying it. I was just trying to get a sense of <laughs> who, who and where you were from. But you never had land growing up, so you never had you never had a, a place to kill a thing. No, sir. In private, <laughs> where <laughs> where where no one could stop you. Just the little crickets that I squished and feel bad about now as an adult. Johnny Miles, you're on the line. You didn't start out as a hunter, but you became one. Maybe you can articulate a little bit about what hunting means to you. I can. I, uh, I I was an accidental hunter. I was not raised by uh, in a hunting family. I killed a bird accidentally when I was 12 years old. It was a, a pretty searing moment. I was I had a BB gun. Yeah, I was going to say you killed it accidentally by shooting it. I think is what you mean. <laughs> yes, say. yes. Well, I guess I suppose I mean accidentally in the sense that I didn't know what would happen when I aimed the gun at the bird. So. Accidentally, in the sense that I didn't, I didn't mean to kill it. I just meant to shoot it. And I understand that that's an odd distinction. But, but I was, I was, I had a BB gun. My, I was a, I think twelve years old, eleven, twelve years old. And I was shooting cans. I got bored. I saw this, this dove. And it was on a tree branch in a neighbor's yard, and I and and I and I shot it. Sure. Well, it was a dove. God damn it. That's right. <laughs> what, else you, what else are you? What else are you going to do with it? And uh, and instantly, I didn't know what I had done, but I realized I had done something of great import. I mean, sort of cosmic import. And I jumped the fence into this yard, and I should know that this was a big deal for me because the the the, the neighboring yard was, according to neighborhood rumor, um, there was a, a schizophrenic who lived there who had murdered his father and also sunbathed nude. So to go into this yard was a big deal for me. <laughs> And I went and I fetched this dove that I had that I had killed, and I was crying. I was I was absolutely weeping, and I knew 
that if I I was raised Catholic, I should say that I knew that if I didn't eat that dove, I didn't if, if I didn't make use of it, it would be a great sin. So I took it home, and that's why I wear I this. That's why I wear the skin of my victims, you guys. With, exactly. You see, you understand this there, because that that absolves. Because I don't want to sin. I didn't know what to do uh, because I, I was in those days. We were called latchkey kids. You know, the kids who came who came home and their parents weren't there. I didn't know what to do, and I would make myself. The only thing I knew how to cook were those Triscuit pizzas. They were on the side of the Triscuit box. There were instructions. You just put something on a Triscuit and you put it under the broiler. Usually cheese. So, usually cheese, not usually dove. <laughs> But I put the dove, and it's for the dove are very easy uh, to to clean. You basically you you pull the the skin apart, and suddenly there's there's breast meat, and that's all there is. And I and I put the breast meat on a triscuit, and I put it in the broiler, and I, it might have even been a toaster oven. And I'm weeping the entire time, and this is my penance. But when that that triscuit dove pizza penance pizza is done, I eat it. So two things occur to me. One is that this is delicious. This is absolutely <laughs> so good. The other thing that occurred to me is I suddenly understood at again at the age of 12 that I had I have been existing under a delusion about where meat comes from. Nobody ever told me. It was never clear to me that that these are living animals that we're eating and that if we're eating meat this is what happens. They die, and then we cut them apart, and we eat them. And it was the most tasty meal. I don't want to overstate it, but I don't want to understate it. It was the most tasty meal, but it was also the most uh, enlightening meal. Because until that moment, I'd never understood what it was that I was eating. And in that moment, I understood, holy crap, this is, this is, this is big. This is really, really big. Well, there you go, Brian. Are you ready for that kind of personal transformation? I am. You're gonna be you're gonna be eating a deer trisket while crying. Are you ready for it? <laughs> I, I I think so. Now I forget if I if I got an answer to the question, and I apologize because it was a big one. Have you shot a deer? I have not shot a deer before. Have you shot a rabbit? I have not shot a rabbit. Have, have you, you shot a man? <laughs> No. Have you have you killed an animal with a gun or any other way? Um, I've killed some squirrels in the backyard before. With um, a slingshot, a spade, uh, a hoe, a squirrel trap, a poison, a BB gun, a BB gun. Did you eat those squirrels? I did not. Did you Did you not take advantage of the of the great recipe from Mary Land's Louisiana cookery for squirrel head pot pie? <laughs> My, wow. my second, my second favorite printed recipe in the world after how to cook an owl. <laughs> Johnny Miles, you know how you cook an owl? How do you cook an owl? Please. You, 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 you pluck it and you clean it. And, and then you quarter it and then you, and then you cook it as you would a blackbird. That's the <laughs> recipe. That's the recipe. <laughs> Look it up. Mary Land's Louisiana cookery. Well, it looks like I cornered you into 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 your into your not hypocrisy, but but naivete a little bit there, Brian. Let's turn to you, Claire. Claire, are you a vegetarian? I am not. Do you know where food comes from? I mean, I meat, do. meat food, <laughs> to be specific. 
Enough to know that if I knew more, I would have a difficult time eating it. Well, here's the question, though. I, you are absolutely right. If you are a carnivore, the more you know, the, the worse you feel, typically. That was the original title of Upton Sinclair's The, the Jungle. Right? Isn't that right, Johnny? Yes, that's exactly right. That's what I thought, right? That's for editors, yes. <laughs> uh, the, the more you know about sausage, you feel bad. But the reason you feel so bad is that most animals that are raised for food that come to your grocery store uh, are treated terribly. You're, you're aware of that, right? I am. Um, you like bacon? I won't lie. Of course. How can I you? I do. Yeah. Don't, don't, even, don't, even, don't even pretend. Of course you like bacon. Bacon's good. Of course. It's and, delicious. And, and Morrissey and, likes bacon. Are you getting? Are you getting? Are you getting your bacon from small, sustainable farms that are raising heritage breed pigs that are allowed to free forage? I buy the really tasty bacon from the supermarket with the lots of pe- the pepper on it. It's quite good. Do you know where that? Do you know? Do you know if those pigs have been factory farmed or not? The label doesn't say, so mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, if it doesn't say, then I bet you it is. If they're not if they're not bragging about it, they're not going to put it on the label. If I knew, I probably wouldn't eat it. Yeah, well, factory farming of pigs in particular is a real crime in this country because it is beyond inhumane, or forget in not forget inhumane in poor kind. It's, it is beyond mm-hmm. mean and awful to the pigs, but it is also ecologically devastating to the communities that live around these essentially unregulated poop factories that dump all that all that pig swill into into the watershed so there's that and cows you know the point is that that a lot of the a lot of the meat that you eat if it is coming from big factory farms you would not be happy seeing the lives that those animals led so would you not be happier to enjoy a venison burger knowing that that deer had lived pretty much a good amount of its natural life foraging in your own backyard. Aside from the fact that I don't prefer the taste, I I don't really like it. Um, Aside from that, I can appreciate the beauty and the poetry in that. I just don't want to know. I just don't want to be attached I want to eat my food to eat it. I don't want to eat my food to be emotionally invested and to be guilty. Well, I mean, I appreciate choosing ignorance because bliss usually goes with it. That's that saying, right, Johnny? I think that's, yeah, I've heard that. I know that when I've watched documentaries previously about the, as you point out correctly, so the poor treatment of the animals and and how that food is brought to our tables, that I have had a difficult time eating enough and eating well for weeks after seeing that. Well, and please understand that I am no, I am not, I am not claiming to be a saint. I am a carnivore, and I and and like every carnivore who has not killed an animal personally, beyond a, a bug, I am I am by definition a hypocrite. Do you know what I mean? Like I, I, I own that, and and we are we are you know we are all ignorant of, of where the food comes from because there's sin attached to 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 even that edamame bean that you're getting because of the packaging 
the shelled edamame bean that you get at a, at a nice uh, Whole Foods or whatever, the packaging and the labor practices that go into that may not be uh, uh, good for everyone in the world. Do you know what I'm saying? And certainly, yes, and certainly I bought name brand uh, bacon before in my life, too. Uh, as well as the as the fancy pants stuff that came from pigs that were that were that were not merely raised humanely but you know read to at night you know and 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 and, and got to watch all, all four seasons of the wire before they were killed which is all that matters in life four seasons right johnny yeah that's correct um jump and- in uh, well, I want to jump in because I, I I feel that Brian is getting a little bit of a, a, a raw deal here because I think Ryan. Wait, I'm not. Uh, Ryan, yeah, I have. I've, been, I've just spent the past twenty minutes yelling at his wife. Why is Ryan getting a raw? Well, no, Brian, I, I, I think I think I think Brian is 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 is. I think he is trying to make an honest connection between he and, and himself and his food, and I think that's a wonderful thing that we need to encourage. Um, because I think there there is an honesty in hunting that when you when you are the one responsible for taking the life of this animal it, on a very shallow level you do not leave you know you do not leave food on your plate you do not leave meat on your plate it, it's too, absolutely spiritually and 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 logistically and physically it's too much you you eat it all because yeah that's that's it what means something that's why i eat bacon off the floor even <laughs> i'll eat bacon off of other people's plates at the restaurant if they left it behind because of because of philosophy yes yeah well there there is a philosophy there and and no, I, I agree no, I, I, think, I do agree with you actually i'm not i'm not i think not i think brian is trying to get to 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 an honesty in that relationship and there is something that if you are a carnivore and to be a carnivore is to be part of death. It is to be part of that cycle. And we in the modern age have been able to insulate ourselves from that. And that is wonderful. And it makes life very easy for us. It makes daily life and feeding our families and feeding ourselves uh, operable. But when you, you, you go out and hunt... And when you look that death in the island, when you look at the destruction that you have done, it is a responsibility and it is, it is a really important responsibility. It, 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 it brings a lot into, per, into perspective and, and I think Brian should pursue this well, because this is, I think – Okay. Yeah. No, I, I, I appreciate that. But let me, let me make a, a, another point. For for those of us who, who who agree with you philosophically, it is usually enough, right, to uh, re- read a beautiful uh, a beautifully crafted uh, magazine article about one's uh, um, uh, loss of innocence after shooting a, a dove in their schizophrenic nudist neighbor's backyard, and and to, and to go through the cathartic weeping with you. And then, and then feel good about making some smarter choices in terms of where they source the meat that they're going to eat. But it's, I don't necessarily then feel the need to go out and start shooting doves in my own neighbor's backyards or, or anywhere else. Because it, while I think Brian and poor Brian is being so quiet over here while the two city folk talk it out. But Brian is saying he doesn't want to do it. He doesn't want to hunt for sport 
but uh, but honestly none of us is would be hunting if we if we were to take up arms or 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 to follow the Ted Nugent example compound bows and kill and kill our food none of us is doing it for need in the sense that we have access to food um uh ecologically and humanely ethical food uh all around us and so if it's not for sport and it's not for need then is it not merely are you not merely killing for therapy personal growth that's a very good point oh georgia understands me now johnny miles <laughs> georgia and massachusetts are ganging up on you okay need yes uh, and that's sort of like saying that if you can afford that that someone to clean your house then you don't need to learn how to do it mm-hmm. because you don't have the need um new jersey comes back swinging <laughs> but you're not a new jersey you're not a new jersey boy you no, I'm, a, I'm a mississippi boy you're a mississippi boy yeah but but the idea is that yeah there are all in in there are many things that in modern life allows us to have other people do for us. That doesn't mean it's right, and that doesn't mean that it it gives us a clearer perspective on on what our own life is. And in this case, and this is the most important, one of the most important things we do biologically. I mean, we we are creatures who who eat meat, who kill and eat meat. And if we don't face that honestly, I think we're missing something in our own sort of existential, you know, record. Yeah, I think that rabbit would want to die so that we could figure that out for ourselves. Well, they're, they're okay. So no, when I'm we talk with, about uh, you, yeah, know, talk you know about, that, you know I'm just poking at you. I'm no, just I, I do, I do. But we right. talk about farming. We talk, and one of the things that I think is so wonderful that we've had in the last you know ten years is where we focus on farmers and and where our meat is coming from and how it's being treated. And, you know, we see on a menu that, that, that something came from such and such farms and we feel good and we, we get the story of the farm. But in hunting, it's not about the farmer and it's not about the, the hunter. It's not about the human being is what I'm saying. It's about the animal. You listen to hunters talk about the stories and it's about the animal. It's about the deer. It's about its life and how it died, not how it was raised, not how it was Ultimately, I mean, we talk about hunting or farming, we're talking about, you know, keeping an animal hostage and then ultimately executing it. That's what farming is. Uh, in, in hunting, it's sort of random assassination, but the story is about the animal. And I think that's something essential too, that the animal that gives its life for you to have its meat is an integral part of this. Not the system, not the farm, not mm-hmm. the human being, the animal itself. Well, I, I would say that uh, that, that certainly uh, meat for anyone to chew on, no matter where they come down on this issue. Brian, are you are you chewing over this uh, this cud right now? D- does this enhance your feeling uh, and desire to hunt more? Does it decrease? I mean, he's making a very eloquent argument in your favor. I, I have been uh, very intently chewing this over. Um, and it, it has been a little bit of a, of a self-discovery journey, uh, listening to some of these uh, feelings and emotions being put into words that I can relate to. 
Claire, does does uh, Johnny Miles' very poetic uh, uh, and and I think uh, compelling argument uh, about the 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 moral beneficence of hunting move you in any way? It does quite a bit. I can appreciate the grace and the beauty in those words, and I don't disagree. I just don't necessarily want to know about it and when it's happening. It can happen. I just don't want to be riddled with grief. I don't want to be wringing my hands. I just want it to happen and to go away and to come back and nice little neat white packages in my freezer. And whoo, there it is. I know how it got there. I'm grateful that it's there so that he can eat it. I don't want to have to know. You want to be like you want to be like a mafia wife. <laughs> it's like, oh, that's always good to know that there are a few stacks of, of uh, a, a few thousand hundred dollar bills in my freezer when I need them. I don't them. need to know where it came from. I just need to know it's there. <laughs> no, I just, I'm riddled. I should say you want to be like a mafia wife or an, or any other American who wants the, the food to materialize. But you're, so you're saying that it's okay if, if Brian goes off and, and kills a deer or a rabbit and has its processed and everything else, you simply don't want to know about it. And let me ask you this, can you hear gunshots or is that going to be a problem on your property? Because we both enjoy, uh, target shooting, um, the sport, the practice, Mm -hmm. um, I don't need to know the difference. If it goes on, pow, pow, maybe it's a target. Maybe right. it's a can. Maybe it's bottled. That could... Maybe it was something else, and he's gone to the processors or running errands. I just don't need to know. I didn't want it to happen originally. And then I thought, how selfish of me to say, oh, I want to be Snow White, you know, playing with the little rabbits and the birds and the garden, and then not let him have any fun. That's not very kind. So I thought we should have a compromise. And he didn't like my compromise because he said it was impossible to keep a secret from me. Well, now, wait a minute. This is a pretty good compromise, Brian. Why aren't you going for it? Well, the the initial compromise that we had talked about was she didn't want to know anything that that it would literally just materialize or she'd be really upset um and you we have a side we will have a sizable amount of property but it will be really easy to hear a gunshot yeah um, but she's just said she doesn't mind she'll just think of it as as a uh, target shooting except the target happens to be a little fuzzier than normal I think, yeah, I think your wife, your wife is saying she will willingly, she will willingly deceive herself with regard to the sound of gunshots. So what else would you have to hide from her? Um, well, she, in the past, we've had other issues that arise and she doesn't (laughs) always easily deceive herself. Um, that she'll say she'll stick her head in the ground and it doesn't always happen. And when a gunshot goes off at 6 a.m., um, you know, before dawn or whatever, um, it will be harder to deceive herself. Are you talking about how she has she she ended up going back on her word to turn a blind eye to your many, many bank robberies and affairs? Well, that too. Right. What, Brian, what evidence what evidence do you have? To, sorry. Go ahead, Jesse. Brian, how are you going to hide, like, if, 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 we, if this compromise went through, how could you reasonably hide the uh, cleaning and serving of the meat of these animals? Like, would you just tell Claire that you went down to the stop and shop and, and you picked up the carcass of a deer? 
The deer fairy comes and visits all the freezers in Georgia, and she hits the fridge and the freezer with her magic wand, and then neat little white packages of deer magically appear. I'm not sure this is. I'm not sure this is someone you want to move out into the woods with, Brian. <laughs> she seems to have a rich inner life. <laughs> yes, please pity him. Is there anything um, that you would prohibit Brian from doing that he wants to do? Uh, Think about it while, there, I, while I ask Brian, is there any aspect of the hunting that you aspire to do on your property that would be inhibited meaningfully by Claire's qualms at this point? Um, uh, potentially what happens after... Uh, after a gunshot before dawn, uh, how that situation is is handled in taking the the deer or whatever it may be to go get processed, keeping her in the house, that sort of thing, um, when she obviously knows what's going on, and you know, trying to keep her head in the sand. Well, can you can you build a shed? We'll call it a bloodshed. On your property, where there's a a stable slash garage slash you know air, workshop area, but if if it's just passed on and he just lifts it into the truck and drives it away to be processed, who knows? I don't have to see its little eyes roll back and its sweet little lips all curled up and its lifeless body. Oh, jeez. I don't have to know. All right. The, uh, do you, you still want to go hunting? I do. All right. <laughs> I, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on a second. You want to go hunting, and basically the only reason that there's a conflict here is that uh, Claire is saying, as long as you keep it reasonably far away from my life, it's okay with me, but you don't believe her. Because you think that you're going to shoot shoot a deer or a rabbit before dawn, and the whole tune's going to change once she figures it out. And she's going to be mad and upset, right? I think that's a, a potential. Um, I think the first couple times something like that happens, um, it will be more difficult as it goes on. I, I do think it will be much, much easier. Yeah, well, just... All you right. could just send me out and say, spend the evening with your girlfriend and go out of town on a girl's weekend or something and come back. And I come back with my toes painted and, you know, a little pep in my step and a concert that I went to and feel really good. And then that's all. I don't have to be there when it happens. By, by, the, by the way, you guys, I'm, 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 com I'm coming to Atlanta in, in September. September. Yeah. I'll be playing Atlanta, doing some comedy, a comedy routine on 6 September at the Erickson Clock Factory in Atlanta, Georgia. Are you going to come to that, Claire? I was planning on it. Okay, good. Will you bring me some frozen venison if <sighs> I find in your husband's favor? I don't know how it would make the trip. But he, but, a little cooler, a little cooler. We'll do it. Yeah. Start Something might accidentally happened to it. it no, might. honestly, honestly, if, if, if it has been respectfully um, taken of its life and respectfully dealt with, it would be my honor to carry and transport it and present it to someone else. 
thank you, thank you for that, and we'll and we'll see what happens. I think I've heard everything I need to make my decision in the case, but before I go into my bloodshed to oh, go down no. into my to go down into my killing lair and <laughs> and uh, and and mull this over under cover of dark uh Brian I would like you to explain to Johnny w- w- what firearm you intend to use for your hunting and w- what other kit you have to make your uh, your uh, uh, dream of killing a reality so that Johnny can evaluate indeed whether or not you are ready to undertake this from uh, whether you are prepared enough to undertake this. Alrighty. Um, because it's a, it's not a giant tract of land. Um, I plan on using a 12 gauge shotgun um, for the majority of the hunting on the land. Versus a rifle. Mm-hmm. Well, um, that's fine. Are you talking about a uh, you talking about deer hunting with a slug then on a twelve gauge? Uh, either a slug or buckshot, but yeah. probably a slug. Okay, and then you're going to use uh, you're talking about um, using a twelve gauge for the rabbit as well, right? Yes. Well, you can do that. That's fine. I think a twenty gauge is probably a better rabbit gun. Um, you know, ultimately. You are a hunter who's going to want to eat that, and so you want as little shot as possible in the meat. So, right. um, you know, you have to uh, think about that. I think uh, like a twenty gauge uh, model eleven hundred is, is, in my opinion, the best rabbit gun there is. As far as for deer, Johnny, you're not good. you're not buzz marketing certain kinds of rabbit guns on my I podcast, am, are you? I, I I'm not getting any money from I would, the. I would never do that. No. All right. Good. Um, but I, I think um, as far as deer goes, um, you know, uh, uh, Georgia is a, is a rifle-friendly state, so um, a rifle would be good. I mean, ultimately, look, here's what you want to do. You want to be able to – you are hunting, and you're hunting for the right reasons. You want to kill the animal as quickly and as humanely as possible. You want this to be – and you're choosing your weapon in order to get that done. And that's ultimately what you want. Uh, so, you know, that's the most important thing. Will a slug from a 12-gauge shotgun cause a deer uh, shot in the right place, cause a deer to suffer or die more or less immediately? Uh, shot in the right place will die almost instantly, almost immediately, uh, and and completely in, in accordance with what we think of as, as you know, the um, – the humane standards that we have for for farm-raised animals. That is part of what a hunter wants to do. A hunter wants to kill as cleanly and as instantly as possible. The hunter never wants the animal to ever know that the hunter existed. Do you think he would have a better shot with uh, with a different kind of uh, firearm? So to speak. <laughs> better shot, get it? <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a writer. Yeah, I think I, I mean I think there's arguments that could be had, um, but I think you know um, with a 12, 12 gauge slug, I think that's um, that's a pretty good that's a pretty good weapon for a deer, uh, depending on the shot and depending on the distance, and that becomes a matter of judgment for the hunter. And the hunter always I I feel, and this is what I tell my 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 son who's becoming a hunter, I should always err on the side of if I'm not completely certain of that shot, I'm not completely certain. 
that that animal will ever feel it or know it, then don't take it. Don't take it because there's tomorrow. Now, after that animal is killed, uh, and I, again, I have not necessarily found in your favor, Brian, because I'm, I'm relying on your answers to Johnny's questions here because I don't know the, to, how to ask the right ones. When that deer is killed, you have to do some stuff. What, what questions would you ask Brian to ascertain whether he is mentally prepared and um, equipment-wise kitted out to take care of a deer that he has taken down on his own property? Well, the you, one thing I would ask yeah. the one thing I would ask Brian is, you know, how much of the deer do you want? As as much as possible. That's the answer I like. There are hunters out there who simply want the tenderloins, which is, you know, if you go into a restaurant and you see venison on the menu, and it's all coming farm raised from New Zealand or places like that. Um, there are hunters who just want that little, basically, the tenderloin. Um, what we know is a filet mignon on a, uh, for beef or the, the pork tenderloin. But I want Brian to eat that entire deer. I want Brian to, if he kills that animal, I want him to eat all of it. And I think my sense from what Brian's been, been saying is that that's what he wants to do. So, and so he, mm-hmm. yeah. So with that in mind, l- let me ask, do you have a processing facility that, you, that you've scouted out to break down this deer for you? Yes. All right. Do you have a, a truck that can move that deer from one place to another? Um, I can, I can get my hands on a truck to transport the deer. But you don't, what kind of car do you own? <laughs> I, uh, I own a, a small hatchback. Okay. I have everything I need to hear to that. I know. <laughs> I've heard everything I need to make my car decision. Can, can I, can, can I pop in here for one moment? Yeah, um, please. I wasn't the, the really hatchback. shutting it down. The hatchback does not necessarily, uh, you know, uh, disallow him. Uh, uh, you know, plastic is a, is a wonderful invention, and anything that he can get into plastic and transport, he's fine. It does not have to be. There is a tradition, of course, in hunting of, of deer being splayed in the back of pickup trucks. It's not a necessity. It's simply a tradition. But do you have do you have enough plastic to wrap up a deer and, and put it in the back of your uh, VW Rabbit or whatever it is? That would be poetic. Oh. <laughs> Shoving a deer into a rabbit. You have, like you're, uh, you have no you're idea. Two, you're two ways. You're two thirds of the way to a turducken. Then well, <laughs> <laughs> it's like a reverse turducken. Yeah, yeah. You, so when you say you have no idea in that creepy way, do, do I do I mean to say that you have got access to a lot of plastic that you can use to wrap up dead things? Um, well, I was actually referring to the rabbit part, um, but, uh, I can, I can get plastic. All right. Good. Good. Said, said about, said about as confidently as I would say it. You've if I were in the guy, middle of right? Georgia, I can get plastic, right? <laughs> well, you know, if, if, yeah, if he's shooting, if she's eating rabbits, plastic does not come into it. No, I but mean, I'm talking about are, deer. Forget yeah, about rabbits. Yeah, I'm course, talking about deer. But, but rabbits are a beautiful thing, and I think I think they should really hone in on those rabbits because that's good family meals. They're, that's yeah, that's the one. That's the one that's really going to make Claire have a problem. Even I, even I quail before eating rabbit. I, I, I'll, 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 I'll eat quail before I eat rabbit. <laughs> All right, enough jokes, Johnny. Let me tell you something. The, the yeah. read I'm getting off of Brian is that this guy needs to go out a few times, maybe on his property with an experienced deer hunter and gets and, and log some time out there 
taking down and then uh, uh, figuring out how to transport deer properly. Do you disagree with me? No, I agree with you fully. And I think there there's something about Brian. I, I love what I've heard from Brian is a guy who wants to hunt for the right reasons. And I have spent, you know, my life, I've met a lot of people who want to hunt for the wrong reasons. Brian's not one of them. This is a good, this is a guy that we need in the world who understands the natural cycle and understands he, he yeah, his heart's in the right place. Yeah, no, I, I think that he's a guy we need in the world. I'm just wondering whether yeah. he's a guy we need in the woods with a gun, not knowing exactly what he's doing. That's not something the world always needs more of. You're right. Do you have a brother or a cousin or an uncle or a or a or a or an aunt or a niece or someone who's done a lot of this, Brian, who can who can show you the ropes a little bit? I do have a brother that's well seasoned. All right. I think I've heard everything I need Wait to. Wait a minute. <laughs> Hold on, Brian. I totally, oh, I totally missed it. I totally missed it. Thank you, Jesse. Thank you, Bailiff Jesse, for catching Brian in that incredibly creepy, <laughs> creepy choice of words. Yeah. I do have a brother that's well seasoned, and we can't wait to have him for dinner. <laughs> the name of the book is To Serve Man. All right. Well, I'm closing the book on this case. I've heard everything I need to hear. I'm going into uh, my bloodshed, and uh, I will, uh, I will, uh, I will deliberate there quietly until you send the lotion down in a basket. <laughs> Please rise as Judge John Hodgman exits the courtroom. Claire, how are you feeling about this case right now? I feel that the judge is fair, and he has an excellent sense of humor, and also that he reads my husband very well. Brian is good and noble, and his intents are pure. Um, so I, I. Feel also that he has heard me and my desire not to want to be part of it or know what it is. How are you going to feel the first time that you tuck into a family meal of bunny rabbit? I will prepare it respectfully. I will um, be thankful for the animal and trust that it was um, that its life passed with honor and that it was dealt with respectfully and be grateful for the food. I will serve it to other people, though. What are you thinking? Like a fricassee? I, I'm just not going to eat it myself. I'm not even 100% sure what a fricassee is. Brian, how are you feeling right now? Um, I'm, I'm actually feeling a little enlightened um, by, by some of this commentary it's it's been a bit of a self discovery. I'm not usually one who has the right words to express how I feel about something, but uh, I do feel like the words that have been spoken uh, today have have really uh, hit the nail on the head. Well, that's why we're working to put a gun in your hands, Brian. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> Claire, Brian, we'll see what Judge John Hodgman has to say in just a minute. Hello, I'm your Judge John Hodgman. The Judge John Hodgman podcast is brought to you every week by you, our members, of course. Thank you so much for your support of this podcast and all of your favorite podcasts at MaximumFun.org. And they are all your favorites. If you want to join the many member supporters of this podcast and this network, Boy, oh boy, that would be fantastic. Just go to MaximumFun.org slash join. The Judge John Hodgman podcast is also brought to you this week by Babbel. Okay, it's 2020, 2024. Oh, if hindsight were 2020, 
I, I don't know what I would have done differently. All I know is that I'm taking every day in this year and trying to get better a little bit every day. That's what you do. That's the way progress is made, step by step, day by day, bird by bird. And that's the way it is when you're learning anything, especially a new language with Babbel. And if Babbel can help you start speaking language in just three weeks, imagine what you could do in the rest of this whole year. Don't pay hundreds of dollars to private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts, real human beings, to help you start speaking a new language in as little as one, two, three weeks. Studies from Michigan State University, Yale University, and others continue to prove that Babbel is better. And that's not just the Yale football team putting their thumb on the scale because they love learning Indonesian from Babbel. One study found that using Babbel for 15 hours is equivalent to a full semester at college. Take that, Yale, I guess. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but this is only for our listeners at babbel.com slash Hodgman. The Judge John Hodgman podcast is also brought to you this week by Aura. A-U-R-A. It's a simple but meaningful gift that you can give your mom or your dad or your step-grandparent or your uncle or your friend or anyone that you want to keep connected in your life who might not live near you. It's a digital picture frame from Aura. It's perfect for sharing pics of all the things that those friends can't be there for, from family vacations to grandkids' graduation to whatever. I have one of these, and I got one for my dad, and I got one for my mother-in-law, and it's amazing. We look at the photos all day long, and we're able to easily update their Aura frames so they see all the latest pictures from our lives as well. It comes with unlimited storage, simple controls on the frame. You can upload as many photos as you want, and your mom or your dad or your stepdad or your stepmom or your friend or whatever can pick the perfect one. And it takes only about two minutes to set up. Seriously. See why it was named the number one digital frame by Wirecutter, uh, The Strategist, and Wired Magazine. Right now, you can save on the perfect gift that keeps on giving by visiting AuraFrames.com. For a limited time, listeners can get $20 off their best-selling frame with code Hodgman. That's A-U-R-A Frames.com, promo code Hodgman. Terms and conditions apply. Please rise as Judge John Hodgman re-enters the courtroom. You may be seated. Uh, well, here's the thing. I mean, there's not a lot of dispute here to have. Brian wants to hunt on his own property, and Claire is basically saying, you go for it. I just don't want to be a part of it. And, you know, you're a young married couple who've been married for a few years, and you're still learning how to... Johnny Miles, what are you making over there? Whiskey <laughs> sour? What is going on? Gin and tonic. We're supposed to hear that, my friend. Yeah, you don't understand. Look, you are look, you are a wonderful voice of authenticity from the country parts of this world. But until you know how Skype works proper, you better get you better get some learning on my podcast. I'm sorry, man. I'll do better next time. All right, no, you go you go on and what are you drinking? Uh, that that's just a little uh, um it's a little Canadian whiskey and, and ice that's right. all and i just want to point out to our yeah. listeners that it's only 8 30 in the morning so anyway moving on <laughs> <laughs> this is the this, uh, i mean i 
I feel like I'm in Country Bear Jamboree all of a sudden. It's we got someone pouring whiskey in one line and a bird chirping in the other line and all this talk about killing. That has <laughs> nothing terrible. to do with Country Bear Jamboree, but it's like a Hemingway short story. Well, the point is that there isn't a lot of dispute. You, you, you say that you're cool with it as long as you as long as you're not a part of it. And as I was saying, you guys are both a young couple, uh, relatively newly married, and what I hope are long and happy lives together. You're figuring out how to meld the different the, the different passions of your lives into one life together. And sometimes, uh, uh, and 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 sometimes those passions uh, and those journeys that you need to undertake are very personal. Um, and then they make sounds and involve blood that the other person isn't interested in. Uh, obviously, you know, Brian, I can't stop you from hunting on your own property. And clearly, um, uh, 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 my priority here is to make sure that, uh, what you do, you undertake safely, uh, and, um, w- with as much caution as possible, both to your safety and to the safety of those around you and to the safety of your marriage. You have not killed a deer before, and you, like me, have relied by proxy on the testimony of the Johnny Mileses of the world um, uh, and, the, and, the, and the testimony of your brothers and cousins and, and other family members uh, uh, who, who may not all be boys about what the process of hunting is like. Uh, and so you are in for some kind of surprise, whether rude or enlightening or transcending. You have your own tears to go through as you eat a dove upon a trisket. And maybe that will confirm to you that you are that you are on the right journey, or maybe you will change the journey you take. I don't know. That's for you to decide and and figure out. But I also point out that there is another journey uh, that you are undertaking um, when you go out into the woods to hunt, and that is the journey back. Uh, with the blood on your hands to face your wife, who of course is going to know that you just killed Thumper or Bambi or both. You, Claire, are an incredibly um, gracious and thoughtful person and, and, uh, and someone who's being very kind to her husband as he, as he goes through something that you don't feel entirely comfortable with. And, uh, you know, uh, I, I, I could make all sorts of comments about how you're you're like a typical American who doesn't want to know where her meat comes from. But honestly, at the end of the day, that's not such a bad thing. And you're letting your husband explore uh, a, a different way. And that's great. And that's fine. The problem here, Brian, is that you don't trust that when you come home that Claire is going to hold up her end of the bargain. You are afraid that she's going to go back on it in in some way that will be uh, – the, the, that will that will undo the arrangement um, that she's not going to she's going to burst into her own tears as you're eating your dove trisket pizza or whatever and I wonder if perhaps that may not be more unendurable for you to contemplate than taking the life of an animal it should be your wife's feelings should matter to you but I think that you know part of what you're going through here is um well, you're entrusting yourself with the lives of these creatures that you're going to kill and eat. And you're also being entrusted with your wife's faith that she's in you and, and, and also her trust in you that you're going to respect her boundaries um, when you bring that food home. You also have to trust her that she's going to stand by her, her side of the bargain. I really do think she is. I really do think that if you 
if you kill and get some venison, that she will bring it to me at the Erickson Clock Factory in Atlanta, Georgia, on 6 September. And you know I only want tenderloins. I don't want any of that other garbage, because I am a total tenderfoot. So with that warning, I am going to find in your favor, but also with that warning comes caveats. You need to go out with a more experienced hunter uh, who has who has taken deer, and I think you should do that. How many times would you say, Johnny? Um, I think I think I should actually go out with Brian. Can, can we can we work that out? Yeah, I would. I think I should. I, I hope that's not one of your hollow this. city promises because that would be good. You know, yeah, I, I would. I would absolutely. I'm, I'm offering that. All right, that would be amazing. You will be our yeah. guest. You'll okay. you'll be our guest. All right. All right. So we're going to work out some time for because I was going to say you don't have. Uh, you don't have a Johnny Miles in your life uh, the way uh, young, uh, young Johnny Miles Jr. does uh, to, yeah. te- to teach him not, not to simply maim an animal for, for, for laughs, but to, but to kill it humanely as possible yeah. and so on. Um, I will state that publicly. I would, love to, I would love to come down and be part of that first time. All right. Well, I would, love s- to have you. I would say don't, don't, don't take a deer until Johnny Miles is with you. And then you can, and then he can show you what brand of freezer to buy, and and how to disguise a, a, a deer carcass as a love seat so your wife won't freak out or whatever else. And you know, for he, for heaven's sake, you know, the only gun I've ever shot is at clay pigeons on top of a mesa with a bunch of wealthy people, and boy, that was fun. I have nothing against <laughs> firearms when they are kept and used responsibly, and obviously locked up when not in use, and. You know, uh, just really, 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 I can't emphasize it enough. Be safe, right? This is the sound of a gavel. (laughs) Judge John Hodgman rules that is all. Please rise as Judge John Hodgman exits the courtroom. How do you feel, Claire? I feel it was a fair compromise. I am honored by Johnny Miles' uh, offer to come spend some time with Brian, and I think that instills even more faith and appreciation um, for that. And I, I am satisfied with that. Brian, it sounds like not only do you have a satisfied wife and a positive outcome, you also have a new mentor. Uh, it, it does sound that way. I'm, I'm excited about this. Well, Claire, Brian, thanks for joining us on the Judge John Hodgman podcast. It was great to have you. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org slash newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. 
find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app and at MaximumFun.org. Meow. Oh, geez, the cat's back. Just when I thought we were going to get something done. I was just feeling I was just feeling left out because there wasn't an animal in the background of my my recording. I shouldn't have been a cat either. I'm just surprised. Cats don't make cats don't go meow. They go right before they throw up. That's what a cat does. Um, well, listen, we have a couple cases on the dock and we still have Johnny here. You want you want to clear them all out together? Yeah. Johnny, you want to pour some more whiskey into that glass? Yeah, I'm, do- I'm doing right. that now. Yeah. Oh, no. Oh, really? No kidding. Uh, just a lucky guess. All right, go ahead. Here's something from Jeff. My brother Ben is an aspiring scientist and a sophomore at Rochester University. He's become a know-it-all about scientific matters, and he'll call me out if I'm the least bit wrong. Now he's taken it to a new level by being critical of the quote-unquote science shown in movies and TV shows that we watch together. For example, when we watched the latest Godzilla film, the only thing he'd talk about was how radiation was depicted incorrectly. Oh, really? That was the problem with the movie? Yeah, I guess so. How did they depict the radiation? Was it like red bolts coming out of Godzilla's eyes? Uh, Kind of out of his mouth. But that's another story. That was the least of that movie's problems. I seek an injunction. Ben cannot focus solely on the science shown in works and works of fiction when talking about those works of fiction with others. I want to have a discussion with my brother about the movie, not about trivialities. I think the problem in Godzilla uh, that Ben probably had was that they depicted the initial nuclear power plant meltdown as a fast-moving cloud of smoke. And, and, if, and if they could just outrun this smoke monster from Lost and get through a door before it reached them, then they would be safe. And I don't know, but I bet that's what Ben saw wrong in the movie. But even not knowing, I knew it was wrong, as so much in that movie was wrong. Most important that the main character had um, a name and personality that I cannot remember and and was not designed to remember at any point during the movie. And was not Brian Cranston, right? Yeah. That's a, I see Brian Cranston in those trailers. I want that guy to be in the movie for all of it. No spoilers, but I would like to see an actor. The thing about, you know, Miles, did you see this thing? No, I've not seen this thing, but, uh, but I know the theory of this thing and I know, I know where it stands. The oral radiation idea. I just found that you know the the main character um, was so un was was an empty vessel and and a meaningless and a meaningless placeholder for a real character that they that they moved rather conveniently from set piece to set piece. And the thing that really struck me about it, sorry about this, Jeff, but these are these are the kinds of conversations I think you would like to be having about movies. The thing that really struck me about it was that in a in a in a movie like this from from. 20 years ago, even 10 years ago, even the previous Godzilla reboot, the hero of the thing, of course, is going to be a scientist or a researcher or some sort of some sort of um, uh, 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 renegade. Even if it's a military person, it's going to be someone who bucks the system to figure out the real way 
to uh, to uh, to get rid of the, the the main problem. And the military is always going to be portrayed as the by the numbers. We're going to think of the most horribly, perilously destructive way to get rid of the problem that the that the renegade, the outsider, has to stop them from doing. And in this case, that was all turned around. The main guy was a rank and file soldier who followed orders and who did not buck the system in any way. And the one guy who was saying, please don't explode this terrible thing, yeah. ended up being told by the military, sorry, you're wrong. And they did it. And they exploded the terrible thing. And everything was fine. They exploded an atomic bomb in an American city. And it was fine, everybody. I was just, never mind the inconsistency of the narrative. I just found the whole thing to be so interesting that it's not the first movie and i couldn't name the other ones that i've seen where the hero of the movie is an enlisted uh, soldier or or recently formerly enlisted soldier uh who is not uh is not someone who bucks the system or talks back but follows order and gets the job done and it may it occurred to me that it might be that, that this is a calculation on Hollywood's part and, and maybe a reasonable one and maybe a thoughtful one that there are a lot of enlisted people who are coming back from all from all this conflict in the world and they just want to see themselves represented on screen as doing their job and in a good light. What do you think, Johnny Miles? I think there's a possibility. I think we're also, um, we might be getting into the uh, Ricky Schroeder, uh, Franco Zeffirelli rule with the champ where you know the idea is that. By by the way, I cannot I cannot believe that. How many of these have we done, Jesse? 164, 165. Yeah, a fair number. How could we get to 166 or whatever? And we have never brought up the Franco Zeffirelli Ricky Schroeder rule from the champ. There is a rule on this. <laughs> I'm not doing In my job. What, what, whatever whatever Ricky Schroeder says. And and whatever you know, Franco Zeffirelli allows him to say kind of rules, but I do think there's a sense that that this is what Ricky Schroeder says is is what the world means, in the sense that he is the underdog. He is the you know he, he's not an officer. He's Ricky Schroeder. The champ is the officer. And so I think we need to understand that that is where that's where the narrative stems from. In most should... in most stories, that's true. But in the in the Godzilla, I'd like you to go see the Godzilla, and and look at the main character. He he's true. Like there, there's never a moment that says, "I don't think we should do it this way." He's like, "I'm on board with the mission. Let's go." It's interesting stuff. These the point of the matter, Jeff, is that all discussion of movies like Godzilla is really just about trivialities and and personal obsessions. I can't. I can't overrule your brother Ben's personal obsession with how radiation works in movies. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna establish a gag order uh, because if 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 I shut him down from talking about bad science in movies, then 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 I'd be shutting myself down or Johnny Miles down talking about the Franco Zeffirelli rules. So. Yeah, but you know what? You know here's the thing though. There, there's a there's a point in in the Godzilla movies, and there's a point in every movie. When, and this is in the Champ when John Voight says to Ricky Schroeder. You know what you are, and there's Ricky Schroeder. He's standing there in, the, in this in this in this racehorse, um, in in this racing stadium, and he says, "No, champ, I don't know." And John Voight says to him, "You're a pain in the ass." And everything in life makes sense right then, and everything in Godzilla makes sense right then, because we're all pain, pains in the ass, and there it is. In that moment, 
is everything you need to know about Godzilla and Franco Zeffirelli and the yeah. champ and all that. If you don't have a char- if you don't have a character who's a pain in the ass, who's yeah. disruptive to the story, right. then what you have right. is a, a police procedural. All right, let's move on. Yeah, there we go. Here's something from Benjamin. I write to clarify a point of celebrity etiquette. I was recently eating dinner at the Russell House in Harvard Square when the always wonderful Eugene Merman came up next to me to order a drink. I was awestruck and I remained silent. He went to sit down with his friends and my voice returned. I wanted to approach him to very briefly let him know I love his work, but I don't, didn't want to interrupt his dinner. Here's my question to you. When is it appropriate to approach a major celebrity in public? Are there contextual clues? When is it more or less appropriate to interrupt what they're doing? I think it's a good rule of life to respect other people's privacy at all times because there are other people and they want to live their lives just like you want to live your life. It's a golden rule, everybody. Golden rule. Eugene and Eugene Merriman is a major celebrity for a lot of people. And I would say that uh, you don't you don't bother someone in a context in which you would not yourself reasonably tolerate being bothered. Right. Golden rule, whether they're famous or not. Would you approach, let's say Eugene Merman was not a public figure, but uh, he had a huge bat in his hair, <laughs> right? And he didn't realize it. And he was at the restaurant in Harvard Square next to you. Would you go over to him and say, I, I'm sorry, no one seems to have mentioned you have a bat in your hair and it might have rabies. And if so, when would you choose? You would choose your moment carefully. You would wait until... He wasn't obviously in the middle of a conversation. You would look at who he was talking to. If someone at the table was crying, you would kind of get a good sense of like, oh, this might be a moment as I'm using the bathroom just to lean over and say, bat in your hair. <laughs> I think for the most part, if, if you see a public figure and you, can, and you find a time when you yourself would not, would not bo- uh, be bothered being bothered, then it's okay to just lean over and say, I just want to say I really love your work. But you also know, in a restaurant, in almost any circumstance, saying, can I take a picture with you, is, is really ultimately making that celebrity feel like they're being turned into a trading card of some kind. Reaching over and saying to someone, you have a bat in your hair is a moment of human contact that everyone feels good about, except for the bat. And the same is true if you compliment someone on their work politely and in the appropriate moment, and usually not in front of their children. Johnny Miles, you disagree? Did you ever you ever approach a famous person because you just couldn't help yourself? I once cornered Joe Jackson once in a bar, and I had to tell him. I just said, I had to tell you, Joe Jackson, I love your musics. <laughs> no, it's, it's an uncomfortable position. You uh, because you you can't you can't you can't extract what you want from this this personal being that is in front of you. There's no way you can't you can't do that download. Right. So you don't want to take. You want to give. You give yes. a compliment. That's all. Right. You don't like take taking time away from that person is not doing them a favor. It's doing yourself a favor. And then how you, you know, how you you would feel bad. You would feel bad if you were in that person's position. Absolutely. Yeah. But and yet you still want to make a mark. You still want to maybe, I don't know, leave some sort of um, trace connection. And so it, it does become a kind of odd it uh, is tr- it is true yeah. that it, it is true that uh, I would not say that I'm a major celebrity, but as someone who is on television, even even a few times a year, if you come up to me in a bar and 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 make an impression such that I remember your name, 
you will never die. You become immortal automatically. Yeah. And I understand yeah. the impulse, but yeah. come on. Somet- sometimes I just want to eat a, eat a cheeseburger and drink my Canadian club in shame alone, you know? I, I find it very interesting. I, I was uh, interviewing a, a celebrity not long ago who said that when people come up and ask... A major celebrity? A, a major, major celebrity, celebrity, yes, yes. And, and when I say a major celebrity... I'm going to go ahead and say this. I mean, somebody who's engaged to Jennifer Aniston. Is that right? You know, there yeah. we go. Yeah, you were probably and, you were probably interviewing him in, in in advance of his starring role in the new HBO series, The Leftovers. You have this right, right. And he, what he said to me, written is by that, Tom Parada and co-created with Damon Lindelof. And, go and on, Damon Lindelof. Yes, who is a who are both absolutely incredibly um, intelligent gentlemen. They're and, terrific. Uh, yeah, they are terrific. And. Uh, what, what this man said to me, this man who will go nameless, um, was that what he found was interesting that, that when people asked for photos, he would say, you know what, it's not a good time, but can I give you a autograph? And inevitably, people rejected the autograph. The autograph, therefore, is dead. What an interesting world. Nobody, wa- no, nobody right. will even accept the autograph. No, they want a, They just want a photo. They want a photo. Well, let's talk about that. that that's yeah. crazy. Yeah. Well, it's, it would be like someone. It would be like someone shooting a deer and and just wanting to put its head up on the wall. Yeah, there it is. There it is. That's exactly yeah. right. Right. It's a trophy. It, it's a trophy. It says nothing, and it says everything. Well, we're almost out of time, Jesse. Who right. named this case? This week's case was named by. Samuel Ross. Thank you, Samuel. If you want to name a future Judge John Hodgman episode, follow Judge, like Judge John Hodgman on Facebook. Uh, It's at facebook.com slash Judge John Hodgman. And follow us on Twitter and uh, at Jesse Thorne and at Hodgman. Um, If you have a case for Judge John Hodgman, we want to hear it. Send it to Hodgman at MaximumFun.org or go to our convenient and easy web form that explains everything we're looking for at MaximumFun.org slash J-J-H-O. J-J-H-O. I've, got, I've heard from a lot of I've heard from a lot of folks who have started listening to uh, Bullseye, my public radio show, because they've heard me here on Judge John Hodgman. Heard someone we did a Jordan Jesse Go show actually with my brother, my brother and me the other day here in Los Angeles. So, thank you to all of those folks. And um, you know, if you're looking for some in-depth culture interviews with major celebrities like Eugene Merman, a multiple-time guest on the program, a uh, major celebrity, check out Bullseye. I love Eugene Merman; he's the best. And here's a little plug for me, John Hodgman. I want to let you know that I will be among many places at the Bottle Tree Cafe in Birmingham, Alabama on 7 September. Johnny Miles, you should come down for that one. That's going to be good because we'll be there with – I will be appearing with Jason Sims, uh, the owner of the Sadness Tree, uh, from our Christmas – episode last year and from many, many episodes a long time ago, uh, um, uh, an Alabama native himself. I'm looking forward to hanging out with him then. And for those of you who've been asking online, the Akron Summit County Public Library appearance in Akron, Ohio. I hope I'm pronouncing it correctly. Maybe it's Ohio. In any case, that's on 22nd October, and that is free. That is free to the public. First come, first served. Uh, and and uh, and I hope that all the people that 
major celebrity Eugene Merman and major celebrity Kristen Schaal and I, minor television personality John Hodgman, missed in Cleveland last fall, will uh, will come on down and say hello because that will be a fun a fun event and we'll go hang out in Akron after, I guess. We'll definitely do a meetup or something after that one. And Johnny Miles, we can find more information about you, your book, your habits, uh, and, and your writings all at johnnymiles.com, J-O-N-N-Y-M-I-L-E-S.com. Is that not so? That is so correct. His new paperback novel, or the paperback edition of his second novel, Want Not, is available now or almost almost as soon as now uh, at all of the major bookstores. And Johnny, if we don't meet up in, in Birmingham, Alabama, for heaven's sakes, let's go to Oxford, Mississippi, right? Uh, that's a perfect place. But are I you like going to do a bookstore appearance? Are you going to do a bookstore appearance at Square Books in Oxford, I Mississippi? Will. Of course, I will. That's just, that's just heaven. That's heaven in a little kind of nut. Yeah, not sure. All right, everybody, look at johnnymiles.com and go to Oxford, Mississippi, when he reads from his book at Square Books. Uh, hello to uh, to all the Howarths down there, and to the John T. Edges and all my friends in Oxford. I'll come for you soon. Uh, anything else that we need to say, Jesse? No, sir. Our Wait, show produced is produced show? by Julia Smith and edited by Mark McConville. And not, my name is John Hodgman. That was Johnny Miles, bailiff Jesse Thorne. Uh, court is adjourned. That is all. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.